The following audio-supported podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Please speak with your healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. The guests on today's show were paid to participate in this podcast. What's up, Cheat Codes listeners? It's me, Dr. Z. And me, Dr. C. Dr. C, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you doing? You know, I was feeling a little rusty. We haven't been in the studio for some time. Yeah, it's been a bit. It really has, man. And it felt like I was going to walk in here and be a little sluggish, a little behind, but it's kind of like riding a bike. I'm back in here, man, and I'm ready to go. How are you feeling? Good, man. This gives me energy. Me too. Been a little bit, but it'll be good to be back podcasting with you again. And we got a great guest today. We got an awesome guest, man. It's actually a cheat code's first for us. We've interviewed a lot of cool people over the first, where are we now? Maybe 65, 66, something like that. Almost 70 episodes we've had legends we've had rising stars but for the first time today we've got a fellow this is going to be the first trainee on cheat codes that we have who we are bringing in as a rising star and i am amped up about that yeah i can't believe we haven't had anybody on who's a fellow before this but it shows what a great fellow Margest is. yeah so i'm going to tell you a little story so we were in new orleans at the american society of hematology's conference at a reception you were hanging out with some of your coag buddies. I was filtering, trying to find the sushi line. And I finally got there and I'm walking away happily with my salmon roll. And suddenly I get approached by this really friendly face. And he walks up to me and he says, you're Dr. Z, right? And I was like, uh-oh, I'm in, either I'm in trouble or something's going down right now. I was like, yeah, I am. He's like, listen, man, I just got to take a moment. Like, I, I just want to introduce myself. I want to say thank you for all the things that that you've done, especially with cheat codes and advocacy stuff. And I was like, let's sit down, man. Let's talk. Let's just kick it for a little bit. So we sat down and he started talking about his story. And I was hooked, dude. I was like, this guy needs to be on cheat codes immediately. We need to tell this story. People need to hear this. People need to know about Dr. Oladipo Cole. And that's who our guest is today. You ready for that, Dr. C? I can't wait. Cheat Codes listeners, I know that you're probably just as amped as I am. We've got Dr. Oladipo Cole with us here, and I'm not even going to do his intro because I'm not really sure how to. I have thought about it all week about how I'm going to introduce Dr. Cole, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to have Dr. Cole introduce himself because I want to know how he thinks of himself. He wears a lot of different hats. He has a lot of different things, and I want to see the order in which he gives that to us. So this is your first test, Dr. Cole. Welcome to Cheat Codes, man. You're already putting me on the spot. Wow. <laughs> first and foremost, I'm going to introduce myself based on what got me here. First and foremost, I'm a man of God. I'm actually a minister in our church, and I'm really excited about that because I do a lot of work with the youth ministry, do a lot of advocacy and a lot of presentation in the ministry. We go around doing empowerment weekends, empowerment retreats, and even couples retreats. So Really excited about that. But it's because of my love for God that actually got me to where I am today. I am a second year fellow at Washington University, a school of medicine uh, in a hematology oncology program where my main focus is sickle cell disease. I did my undergraduate at Georgia Southern University and my medical degree at St. Matthews University in the Cayman Islands. And I completed my internal medicine residency at Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton, Florida. So that's me right there. <laughs> that is quite an introduction. And that's not the way I was expecting it to go, but I am all in on it. So I want to hear a little bit more about Dr. Cole Oladipo, the child. 
the boy growing up. Tell me, where was, where's home? I was originally born in Lagos, Nigeria, and my family immigrated to first Rhode Island, of all places. <laughs> and then we, I actually grew up in, in Georgia, outside of Atlanta, in Lawrenceville. I come from four siblings, sorry, three siblings, excuse me. My brother, who has sickle cell, and I have two older siblings as well, Cindy, Suzanne, and Balaji. They are my rock. Oh my goodness, when you say siblings, man, I have one of, some of the best siblings in the world. I don't know if you have any siblings, but my siblings, we will fight each other. Yeah. But they will fight other people on our behalf. You don't want to mess with the Cole family. <laughs> I've got two older sisters, and man, I feel sometimes like I have three mothers, which gets overwhelming. Dr. Z just loses the fight. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so family's important, right? So family is driving force for you, sounds like. Oh, definitely. Going even further back, my grandmother, she was a midwife back in Nigeria, and she used to deliver so many children and even taking a lot of children and help them and their families health-wise and everything of that nature. And so my sister, she's an OBGYN. My uncle, he's an internal medicine physician. My cousin, physician. I have three other cousins, physicians. And so it's like this healthcare yeah. industry just developed in my family. And it stems down from my grandmother, who paved the way as a religious woman and as a healer as well. That's my origin right there. That's amazing, man. That's quite an origin. And it sets the stage beautifully for what is looking like a very promising career for you. Let's hope so. <laughs> Agios is a biopharmaceutical company that's fueled by connections with patient communities, healthcare professionals, patients, and each other. Building on these connections and the company's unmatched leadership in the field of cellular metabolism, Agios is pioneering therapies of genetically defined diseases a broad group of rare and more common diseases that are typically severe and life-threatening. Near-term, Agios is focusing on hemolytic and acquired anemias, including sickle cell disease, pyruvate kinase, or PK deficiency, and thalassemia. To learn more, visit agios.com. That's A-G-I-O-S dot com. I gotta ask, you're specializing in sickle cell. There's a couple things here, right? You're from Lagos. You're from a part of the world where sickle cell is just everywhere. You have a sibling with sickle cell disease. At what point does this entity enter your brain? When do you get introduced to sickle cell disease? When does this get on your radar? Do you remember that? Yeah. One thing I did forget to mention, not forget, but I wanted to also mention was I have sickle cell as well. And honestly, that's the beginning of my story in 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 my career field, the trajectory into my career. And if you allow me, I would love to share my story. That's what we're here for, man. I can't remember what, what year it is, but I know it was sometimes in the winter, either Thanksgiving weekend or Christmas weekend. I know it was the winter. My brother and I were hospitalized. I had a cute chest, he had a bad crisis, and we were in a hospital together. Mind you, growing up, my brother and I were demons. Cause like, you know, in the children's hospital, they give you everything. You want the Xbox, you want PlayStation at that time. We was playing left and right. Even though we were in pain, we were still active. But there was a point in our hospitalization where both of us were just down, like in so much pain, tears were coming out of our eyes type pain. And luckily they put us in the same room and it's as if they made sure that our beds were close together. Cause sometimes me and my brother would actually sleep in the same bed. He's my best friend. Sometimes we would just sleep in the same bed. What's the age difference? 
two years. Okay. I'm 36, he's 38. Okay. So we was really close. Let me set up how close we were. We did everything. I followed my brother everywhere. There was a time where like little kids would box, right? And someone would just accidentally punch me. He came out of nowhere and just like, hey, give me the gloves. And he just looked out for me. You know? <laughs> My brother didn't let anybody mess with me. This is the same brother where we were going to school and we both had lunch money and I wanted ice cream. He would give me his lunch money just so I could get ice cream. So that's how he took care of me. And so fast forward to our hospitalization, I just see how much he has taken care of me and I could see my brother and myself in so much pain, like overt pain. And it was like, we was holding hands, I remember this. And I told him straight up, I'm like, I don't like this. I don't know, something in me just say, hey, I'm going to find the cure for this. I'm going to make sure that we're taken care of. Wow. And so since then, that's that has set my, I've been hyper-focused on this career to make sure that I can, I can excel in a way that, that doesn't just help me and my brother, but that helps other people who are facing the same challenges that we've been facing through since birth. We've heard a lot of superhero origin stories doing cheat codes, but I think that's the best one I've ever heard. It's my second time hearing it, and it gave me the same feeling. The second hear through here, I've got chills. Man, that is quite the story. I think Dr. C spot on, man. We have never interviewed somebody that has this level of insight into the depth of sickle cell disease. So thank you for being here and sharing your story. Walk us through more. So you go through that hospitalization. Thank God you make your way out of that hospitalization. Are your disease courses similar? So I have SC, and my brother has SS. One thing that I've been plagued with is acute chest throughout my adolescent and adult life. My brother, he's had more frequent pain crises and complications due to sickle cell, but that never stopped us. And actually, I played sports from elementary up until high school. I had a track scholarship to a university, but my mom didn't make me take it. She said, no, you got to go to... <laughs> I'm going to put the accent for you. No, finish your studies. You're going to go to college in <laughs> and make sure you study well. So I played football, basketball, and I ran track in, yeah. in high school. And I've always had pain episodes, but I never let it stop me. And I just think that, like, I was blessed with sickle cell, believe it or not. Even though I have all the worst pains that anyone can imagine, the challenges, having to do a little bit more than everybody else or having not to be present at certain times, it's still a blessing because I get the opportunity to understand what it means to be a patient. And throughout my career, that has always been ruminating in my mind. Don't forget the pain. Don't forget what it means. And as I'm in my career right now, that is something that follows me in every single patient that I meet. Whether I'm seeing you on the leukemia ward, or I'm seeing some benign heme patients, or I'm seeing some oncology patients, don't forget what it means to be in that bed and how literally it feels like your life is not your own. You are at the mercy of the white coat. And it's really daunting and exposing, if you get what I mean. And so that really ruminates in my mind all the time when I see patients. And so I've had this hyper-focus of being a physician, especially a sickle cell provider. Everything that I've done has been strategic. There's a reason why I got my master's in business so I can understand the business side of medicine. Because one of the challenges that is faced in sickle cell world is that there's not enough money. There's not enough funds. Do we know how to manage the funds we do get? Or do we know how to market ourselves in a way that is inviting for investors to help us partner and find the cure? So that's one of the strategic. I got my master's in master's in science just to understand more about the medicine and to honestly, let's be honest, to make my resume a little bit better for medical school. And then I've worked in one of my mentors. This is hilarious. This is and this, let me tell you the reason why I'm a man of faith. Yeah. Everything just comes in full circle. 
So my pediatrician was Dr. Lewis Sue. Wow. Okay. And he, if he, I think you know the gentleman, he is a Very remarkable, well. humble. He's a multiple cheat code veteran. And uh, oh my goodness, he is phenomenal. Yeah. I was one of his patients, and this is when he worked in Georgia. I went through my medical school. I started doing rotation in Chicago, and the type of person I am, I'm looking up who to meet, who to talk to, what to say, type things. And I looked up a UIC, and I said, "Wait, that's isn't that Doctor Lewis Sue?" So I found his email. I emailed him, and then I set up a meeting with him, and I told him what I'm doing. He said, "Hey, why don't you come on and do a rotation with us?" So I did a couple, two rotations there at UIC, one in the adults, one in the children's. From then on. I got hooked onto just being a clinical researcher as well. I graduated from medical school. I didn't match, but I had the opportunity to work on an NIH project alongside Dr. Lewis Sue. So I'm glad I didn't match because that NIH fellowship to be able to study this disease, oh my goodness, that literally opened so many doors for me and it increased my love for research as well. To be able to have him as my pediatrician and a mentor and very soon a colleague, man, that's just, that's not something you make up. <laughs> that's awesome. And you went from didn't match to now at one of the very best fellowship programs in the world. I think WashU doesn't get its enough notoriety. It's the Harvard of the Midwest. That's a big journey. That's a accomplishment to be there. And I am beyond humbled by it. And the faculty and the resources here at WashU is second to none. Sec literally, I, one of the top three transplant centers in the country. Some of the top scientists in the world, groundbreaking achievements here at WashU. So I'm only humbled to be a part of this institution. And they've been, oh my goodness, WashU has been phenomenal. My program director, I told her exactly what I want to do. And she's been moving heaven and earth to, to get it, to, to allow me to do so many things. And WashU, yeah, it has been phenomenal. There's smart people there. They know they're lucky to have you. It's really amazing. The story that you're telling is as you start walking on the path, the path just starts appearing. And like you are walking down this road that seems like there's a lot of chaos and there's been these ups and downs, but man, the trajectory of the path you're on is so clear from such an early age. And you're running into these people that fan your flame like Lewis Sue, you've got your brother, you've got your own sort of non-doctor side, right? You've got your own personal side. You've got this connection to Nigeria. So it's there's also that nationalistic view. There's all this stuff building. And man, I think the space is so lucky to have somebody with this much depth to the reason why they're in this space. Hats off to you. Hats off to you, bro. I'm very humbled by your words. And this is coming from someone, Dr. C, let me tell you this. When I actually met Dr. Z, I remember his video, a TED Talk that gave me chills. And I was like, hey, this is someone I need to meet and say, and I didn't have any ulterior motive. I actually just wanted to give him praise to say, hey, I really enjoyed it. We need more prominent men and women like you who can speak to the challenges that a lot of our patients and myself face. And if you have me, I would love to speak about some of the challenges that I faced, and even as a physician. We'd love to hear that, man. Yeah, you brought up something, and I think Dr. Z's TED Talk really got into this. And it's something I think all sickle cell doctors feel a little bit, but I imagine it's a different level for you. There's a, like a white coat army, and now you're on that side of the fence too, and you know those people, and they're good people, and they're smart people, and they want to help people. But a lot of times when it comes to sickle cell, they just have blinders on and you know your patient's going through something awful and the way they're being treated is just not right. And as a doctor, sometimes you feel like you're in the middle of that. 
I'm friends with these people. I respect these people, but I don't agree with what they're doing and they got to treat my patient right. And navigating that sort of patient white coat divide. And I imagine as a warrior, you feel that a hundredfold. I felt that too many times and I'm not that type of person. So I'm very strategic in what I do. I just make sure that I can back what I say up with evidence because everyone listens to evidence. So there was many times where I faced a lot of uh, challenges and even discriminatory practices when I'm having acute crisis and things of that nature. There was one time I went to play flag football with some friends. It was hot. And this was like the summer of my, I think, second year of medical school. And I came home, played with some friends, haven't seen them in a while. And I began to have a really bad pain crisis. My best friend, he hates hospitals really bad. And so he dropped me off at the emergency room and he was just sitting outside, just praying for me. And I was literally seen as a homeless person who just wanted a fix. So that was that. That was just one story. And then one of the ones that hurt the most is that I was at a hospital that I actually worked at and had a really bad pain episode after playing basketball out in the cold, unfortunately. And the first two nights, they were fine because the nurses knew me. The physicians, they trusted me and everything, and they were treating me excellent. But then here comes a nurse. I think she was a travel nurse or something of that nature. And literally in front of my face, she didn't know I was a physician. The way she was prepping her IV, she literally took half of the medication and threw it in the trash. And my brother was here. Like My brother-in-law was sitting next to me. What is she doing? And then never gave me my pain medication on time. It was supposed to be for every three hours. She brought it every five hours. I'm not kidding you at all. And so I'm a very friendly person. I know people, so I don't fight. I have no reason to fight. So I just go to my text message and texted the chief nurse, nursing officer, and she was appalled. And I thought to myself, if I am facing these type of discriminatory acts, and actually one of the things that she said that I brought it on myself, the nurse, the nurse that I brought it on myself, she told my brother-in-law that, oh, I see this all the time. He brought it on himself type stuff. I'm like, wow. And if I'm facing this, imagine what our patients are facing. Absolutely. Some of those that don't know how to navigate the healthcare system, some of those who don't know about what they're supposed to be getting and things of that nature. And I, as a physician, in the same hospital that I'm working in, if I can face through that, imagine what our patients all over the country are facing. So this is why I was really, I had to meet you, Dr. Z, because your words of advocacy and being a soundboard for patients and their families, it's much needed. And that's another hat that I aim to wear as well, is to not only be the answer clinically, but also be the voice yeah. as well in so many areas, in, in whatever capacity, any platform leads me. That's my goal. Your words are just like hitting me in the heart, man. And I'll tell you, I haven't been in clinical medicine now for 18 months. And I don't think the patients, like the thing that sticks with me, Oladipo, similar to what you're saying is, I don't think the patients are suffering from lack of a physician. But the thing that breaks my heart is that when I was there, there was somebody that they could text and be like, hey, I can't get through to the front desk, or the pharmacy's giving me a tough time. Could you make a call for me? And like, I feel like that contribution to the patient-doctor relationship was actually the most significant one. It was like helping them just navigate the barriers that exist. That's what cuts me up still, is I wish I was able to be that person for them, because it's true, man. You have no shot at navigating the healthcare system that as anybody, as an average person, let alone somebody subject to implicit bias and systemic racism, right? On top of that, it's a system built for people to fail. in. And I hear every word you're saying. There's a famous Sufi poet called Rumi. 
And he says, in a night full of pain and darkness, you be a candle that spreads the light until the dawn. And Oladipo, you are that candle, right? So now, how is your light shining? Let's talk a little bit about how you use your lived experience to influence the way you practice medicine. One of my favorite passages or verse in the Bible comes from Isaiah 22, 22. It talks about how I have given you the keys to the house of David. You were used to unlock and none can shut. You were used to shut and none can unlock. In other words, that I believe I have been given this key to open some doors in the lives of patients who look like me, who go through challenges like me. And it's literally something very, to me, is very simple. Just explaining to them what's going on. Carrying them along. One of my professors, uh, Dr. Matty Oshi from, from Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, he used to say this statement. If you can explain something to a five-year-old, that means you understand it. In other words, we cannot be <laughs> bogged down by all the patients not going to understand these medical terms. Okay, don't use medical terms. Use right. simple language. Tell them what's going on. Tell them about their body. Tell them how they can be champions of their own bodies. Tell them how they can help themselves and even help other people and things of that nature. We have to partner with our patients and really let them be the drivers and not the other way around. Gone are the days where, oh, the doctors know everything. Yeah, the doctors are very knowledgeable, but our patients should know even more when it comes to their own bodies, let alone the disease that they're going through. Many patients, when you give them a diagnosis, they go in deep. What's going on? They want to know more about it. And then they have a lot of questions. And we, as healthcare providers, we need to sit down and partner and listen to them and see what's going on. How best can we help? And one of the disappointing part is that we only have anywhere from seven to 15 minutes per patient. And But there's so much to do. And so that's why it's really important to have people around you that serves as their partners. I have some of the best nursing coordinators and mental health professional here at WashU, the Sickle Cell Center has been growing and doing what they need to do to get better. We're not there yet. It's getting better. And all over the country, we're seeing a lot of sickle cell centers also getting better. They're getting the dietitians. They're getting the social workers. They're getting the mental health counselors. They're getting the pharmacists involved, the dentists, the retina specialists. They're getting all these people involved to create a center that is targeted at literally providing the best care they can for the patients. And it's working. It is working. And one of the projects that I was on is the Sickle Cell Implementation Consortium, SCIDIC, and all over the United States centers gathering data to see what are the resources do we need and how best can we implement them to improve the lives of our patients. And the studies are showing that, yes, we're living longer, but we're also living better. We're having new drugs. We're partnering with pharmaceutical companies who actually care. I think that's the key, who actually care. And you know, they're making moves. Even if the drug doesn't work, they say, okay, let's go back to the drawing board and see what we can do because they see that it's a need. And I bring that up because it takes a partnership, collaborative effort here in the United States and all over the world. And I think that that's what's important. We need to continue to research. President Biden proposed a, I believe it was a, no, he approved the funding and part of it was allocated to supercell disease. I'm a little saddened that it's still the same amount as it was previously and has not increased, but at least he's not decreasing the amount of funding dedicated to sickle cell research. But things like that need to continue. Advocacy need to continue. Advocacy on a patient level, on a policy, the American Society of Hematology, they have been champions for sickle cell disease and not just about the research, but also about patient outcomes, about doing what's right. And the door has been open. The door has been open. And I think it's now time for us to begin entering. And But the door that still needs to be closed is the door of discrimination, the door of people not understanding what the disease is. Just last week, I had a patient 
early 30s, recently diagnosed with sickle cell disease, never knew he had disease. Holy. Uh, he has SS, by the way. Yeah. Whoa. He had SS. Here. Here, yeah. He immigrated from West Africa and never had a pain episode, never had anything. The reason he even got diagnosed was because he wanted to join the military. And you have to do a screening and it's like, um, I need you to go see your doctor because I think you have sickle cell. And so he went to his physician and he's like, and the physician was like, I don't know how to help you. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to refer you to a hematologist at Washington. I'm glad they did. But during my conversation with a patient, he came from West Africa and he said, I don't know why I needed to be referred back home. Every doctor knows how to treat sickle cell patients. Right. And then he mentioned it. He said, we have the best healthcare system in the world, but yet our doctors don't know how to take care of sickle cell patients. That right there spoke volumes to me, to where some third world countries, every provider is equipped or they know, they're knowledgeable about the disease. And here in the early 1900s, we've known about sickle cell disease. And to this day, even our medical education system is lacking in teaching about disease. But Dr. Z, Dr. C, I'm pretty sure you can remember back in medical school, what was taught, sickle cell disease, point mutation at the sixth codon. Yeah, and a whole bunch of nothing. Exactly. But then they don't go into the pathophysiology of it. They don't talk about the manifestation and how it really affects patients and things of that nature. And that's what needs to change. We need to close that door of our previous mindset about the disease and open up a door of, okay, we need to make changes in how we teach it to the upcoming providers in every specialty. Surgeons need to know about the disease. Absolutely. And along those lines, the world is getting smaller. People are moving. It's not as though sickle cell disease, yes, it's prevalent in Africa, Indian subcontinent, but man, those people are moving, right? They're going to Europe, they're going to America, they're going to Canada. It's The world is globalizing quickly, and especially in that context, and I can tell you the number of Instagram messages I get from sickle cell warriors in like Utah and montana saying hey nobody here knows anything about sickle cell disease where can i go i hear you it's definitely something we've got to change and really start considering that this is not as rare it's rare but of the rare diseases it's actually pretty common the most common it definitely needs a little bit more spotlight i definitely agree and i think the changes needs to begin in both directions from top bottom bottom up we need to start doing a better job at teaching the disease in our medical schools. It has to be part of the medical curriculum. You could go anywhere in the United States. The chances of you seeing a sickle cell patient is really high. Even if you're in Montana, the chance of you seeing a sickle cell patient is going to be high. So I think we need to stress the importance of at least getting a better foundation in our medical schools and just begin to appropriately teach it better. More providers can understand the disease. A PCP should be able to look up the vaccine schedule for sickle cell patients. They don't need to go to a hematologist for that. And this is why we're so burned out in the in the healthcare industry. So yeah, things like that does need to change. And I'm confident that it will. I'm confident it's getting better on a daily basis. It's getting better. All the research that's coming out, new drugs. I am really I'm excited about the next 25 years for sickle cell disease. We have the gene therapy, which I'm excited about. It's not there yet, but I'm really excited about the future. But we know that not everyone is going to fit that profile. There still needs to be better medical therapy for patients who do not fit those profiles. Absolutely. Um, so I'm really excited. Absolutely. We share your excitement, my friend. Oladipo, I, I, there's so many different conversations I want to have. We're going to have to have you back on cheat codes like 20 more times or something, but this is the first time we've had a fellow on. And I think maybe 
a lot of the cheat codes listeners might not know what a fellow is. So as a little background, to become a sickle cell doctor, you go through undergraduate college and you get a degree and then sometimes extra training like you have two master's degrees and then medical school and then you train as a generalist in adult medicine for three years and then you do a fellowship and that's where you learn all of your sickle cell stuff and how to do research and I guess I'd love to get your perspective about being a fellow taking care of adults which is not that common most of the hemonc fellows do onc and uh, what's the plan after fellowship? That's the biggest question that even I don't know yet. (laughs) No, my training has been great. I think the key to fellowship is just understanding diseases and going in depth, being that specialist of those diseases, knowing the pathophysiology and the drugs out there and how best to do clinical research in these diseases. And my fellowship has been doing that and more. I never knew I wanted to do bone marrow transplant. Don't have any interest. Let me just stick to medicine. Let me just stick to the medical side of things. But I was exposed to bone marrow transplants for aplastic anemia, bone marrow transplants for leukemia, bomas, multiple myeloma, these things. And it actually increased my love to learn more about bone marrow transplant in sickle cell disease and other benign conditions. And I'm lucky. I'm really lucky to be in one of the top centers in the country that offers BMT training. And also just learning about other diseases. I'm the type of person that I'm open to everything you want to teach me. I want to learn because you can apply those things you learn in other diseases. We talk about targeted therapy in lung cancer, for example. Maybe in the future, you know, we start to learn other targeted therapies in sickle cell disease. Who knows? And so it's like you can learn all the diseases in hematology and oncology, but then you focus on one, your clinical and your interest. And I chose sickle cell because of my history and meeting people. All these conferences, it literally allows me to explore in depth about the disease. And my program said, hey, any conference you want to go to, we'll pay for it, uh, at least up to two. And it's so great because you get to learn about the groundbreaking research that's going on, all the basic science that translates into clinical science and all this translational research that's ongoing, not only here in the U.S., but also in the U.K., France, China and other countries as well. And you really learn how to partner with all these other institutions and collaborate And that's one thing I love about the health science in itself. We want to collaborate to get the answer. It's not about us. It's about our patients. It's about making a name for the disease and eliminating the disease. And while doing that, I want to eliminate disparities along the way. And so my fellowship has been remarkable. I have the opportunity to serve on some of the ASH council committees. I'm part of the trainee council that says, okay, what do we need to do and how do we best support our trainees as well? And so I have a voice in that regards as well. My fellowship has been remarkable. Now, the million dollar question is, what's next? I am so praying on that. I know I I do want to do something in in academia, continue research, but also continue my advocacy work and everything. But where to do it at? We'll see. Home still Atlanta? Family's there? So family's in Atlanta. I come from a big family. My grandmother had nine children. So have family in Dallas and Houston, Atlanta, Georgia. My wife's family is in Maryland, the DMV area. I have really close family in, in Charlotte and New York City. And my godfather and some of my church members are in Chicago as well. So there you go, hematology director. Start the bidding war. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Cole, I am just so excited to be able to be on the ground floor of this journey in your early hematology career to be able to 
watch and see how it's going to unfold. I think it's going to be a really effective, inspiring, and important career for sickle cell warriors around the country. I just want to thank you, man, for bringing the perspective and inspiration that you are. The authenticity of sickle cell physicians is something that separates them apart from everyone else. I'm getting that from you fully. There's nothing but authenticity coming through. And for that, we very much appreciate you. Absolutely. You got a huge cheering section here on Cheat Coats. Definitely come back and give us the highlights as you keep doing great things. I'm really humble that you guys allow me to be on to just tell a, a little bit of my story. And I really hope we can continue the partnership. And I'm definitely going to be reaching out to both you, Dr. Z and Dr. C, for your guidance, because clearly it's tough. It's really tough to navigate without big names like you guys helping us small people. Dr. C, I have to say one thing. Dr. Z is like phenomenal with words. He could sell water to a fish. I'm telling you. I know. Dr. C gets to be front row for a lot of those conversations and it drives him bananas. (laughs) (laughs) So Oladipo, listen, man, I am not going to take any more of your time. You are a busy man. So we are going to cap off this episode of Cheat Codes. But as always, you have a standing invitation to come back and update us anytime you want. We wish you nothing but success and health. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you very soon. I really appreciate it. We'll catch you next time. Peace. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Bye. If you're a warrior out there hearing this podcast, please subscribe, like our episode, rate it, send us feedback, let us know how we're doing. And if you know somebody who could benefit from this podcast, send it to them. In the meantime, you could follow me at Dr. Z Sickle Cell. And me at Imagineer. Until then, take it easy. We'll see you next time. Peace.